All right, well, good morning. And um, we're in the uh, final part of our little series going through what the church is for. And uh, so this morning, we're just going to reflect on one final part of the story before next week, we're going to be into Easter, Palm Sunday, and then Good Friday and all these things. And so just a little announcement for me that if you haven't taken one of the cards to invite some friends to come along, um, please do that because we're going to baptize people on Easter Sunday. We've got sunrise service, we've got Good Friday services, such a lot of good things. And Easter, I don't know about you, but I just feel like Easter is one of those moments when we get to invite people and they actually might say yes and come along to stuff so so feel free to do that um, so today what I want to think with you for a few minutes about is the the way that the church brings transformation transformation internally transformation around it but also then transformation to the world and to do that we're going to talk about these words giving um, and generosity um, and let's, let's just name the elephant in the room straight away. Like, there are not that many people who get up on a Sunday morning and be like, yes, come on, they're going to talk about giving today. That's the one I've been waiting for for months and months and months. That is unless you're the treasurer, in which case you're like, come on, Ben, let's talk about it. But, but this is actually a topic, and the reason we're talking about it today is because something Jesus has so much to say um, about Around 16 of Jesus' 38 parables cover this topic. A sixth of all of the texts in Matthew, Mark, and Luke are around generosity, giving, finance. And it seems like it's, it's not because God is desperate for money. It's not because he's desperate for our time. It's not because he's without. I think the one who created stars and space and things like that is probably okay. But it seems to be something about the fact that God knows the impact, the challenge, the things that weigh on our lives to do with this. And the American Psychological Association found recently that 72% of Americans report feeling stressed about money every single month. 32% of Americans consider money as a major source of conflict in their relationships. And over half of all millennials find finance to be a source of stress. It feels like, I don't know about you, but we get stressed because it just always feels like there's never quite enough. There's never enough time. There's never enough resources. There's never enough money. And we look around at everyone else and it feels like, man, they seem to have it sorted. And we seem to be the ones struggling. And so our response is we go like, well, let's just grab on tight. Let's hold on to everything we have for ourselves on the basis that we really don't want it to get away. But maybe, and what I'd like to talk about this morning, is maybe part of the reason we do find ourselves in a mess is because we un- misunderstand the kind of call that God really has, the design that God really has around generosity, the what, the why, the when, and the how. And so Nira's going to come and read for us our reading, and if you've got your Bibles, always great to have your Bibles with you at Vintage. Um, we're going to be reading from 2 Corinthians at 9 verses 1 to 15. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 1 to 15. Okay, let's look into the Word of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 1 through 15. There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people, for I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year you in Achaia were ready to give And your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow. But that you may be ready, as I said, you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, 
we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work, as it is written. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of their surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So brothers and sisters, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Nera. So if you open the Bible at literally page one, you have this amazing description of a party. I don't know if you've ever been to, or I'm sure you have, but I don't know if you've been to a great party recently. Behind every single great party is a great host. And you know a great host because they're the person who's just quietly working away to ensure that the drinks are filled, to ensure that the food is on the table, to ensure the ambience is right, that the music is just right, the decor is right, that the right people are in the place sitting next to the right people. And if you look at Genesis chapter 1 and 2, when God makes the world, the description of the Garden of Eden is like this amazing party. And God is like this incredible, generous host providing for his first guests, Adam and Eve. The good stuff is there. The garden is set out. The animals, the food, all the plants, the drink, everything that they need is right there. It's just an incredible occasion. But then, of course, as you, you go through a couple of pages to Genesis chapter 3, you see the entrance of the unwanted, uninvited party guest, the evil one, the devil who comes in. And he says to Adam and Eve, like, you guys thought that this was good. You thought God was generous, but actually God isn't that generous. Because if he was really generous with you, he'd allow you to eat from this tree over here, which is the best tree of them all. And so the devil lies to Adam and Eve, and they eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and suddenly, like, the world breaks. However you describe and understand Genesis 1, 2, and 3, something shifts, and the party ends, and now instead of abundance, instead of generosity, instead of beauty, like, there's brokenness, 
There's selfishness. There's destruction. It's less like a party and it's more like scarcity and struggle and wilderness. We see like wars and famines. Even though God remains generous, even though he remains forgiving, even though he remains loving and providing for his people, this continual sense of God's people going like, yeah, no thanks. No thanks. We'll do our own thing. We'll make our own party. We'll go our own way. Leaves the world in this arid, broken wasteland. And it's the world that Jesus enters into, not just kind of geopolitically with occupying forces and oppressive taxations and wars and land grabs, but actually on the sense of the human condition being broken. And of course, what we will celebrate in the weeks to come here at Vintage is the Easter story of how Jesus comes into the wasteland as this incredible, generous, free gift of salvation and transformation and healing. And I tell you all that because that's really the basis on which we can even begin to talk about anything to do with giving, anything to do with generosity. It flows firstly from a God who is really, 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 really generous to us. So what does it it mean that we might be also called people who are generous? Well, if you look again in the Old Testament, the beginning part of the Bible, you get a particular glimpse of this in relation to money. And the way it used to go was like this, is that whenever there was a harvest in the land, as God called his people together and gave them law, basically the instruction was this, that they would take the first tenth, the first tithe, the best part of the harvest, because most of them were farmers, and they would bring it into the place of worship. And some of it was used literally so that the temple could thrive because they knew that the temple was important and it needed to thrive for the community to thrive. Some of it was used to give generously to those in need, those who couldn't feed themselves. They would be provided for. And then thirdly, and most surprisingly, some of it would be literally burnt as an act of worship. Now, if you're any sort of business person, any sort of economist, you're like, no way, do not burn the crop. That's a bad thing to do. That will not help you. But the reason that they did it was it was a symbol. It was a sign. It was an action of saying, God provided this. God is in control. Everything we have, our ability to farm, our ability to have animals, our ability to work the land, even our ability to breathe comes from God. And so when we give it back, what we're saying is, it's God's. He is generous, and what we have is provided to from him. It's amazing. In fact, if you look at early church history or early uh, Old Testament history, you, you'll realize that they didn't just do this once when there, was a tithe, when there was a harvest. Actually, historians think there were up to three different tithes that happened, which meant that the Israelites gave somewhere between 20 and 50% of everything they received from the harvest went back in this way. Like, it's astonishing. It's almost ridiculous to our mindset that you could do that. But of course, the point was, this is not a financial strategy. This is not the God of the universe desperate for our stuff. It was an act of faith. It was an act of reliance on a God who blesses and provides. Now, of course, if you, if you come through to the New Testament of the Bible, like we can, and if you've been around church for a long time, we can quickly make this response, phew, 
oh man, I'm so glad I don't live in the Old Testament anymore. <laughs> I'm so glad I don't live under the law because that would suck big time. I'm so glad we're free. We can eat shellfish. We can grow our hair long. Like all the stuff we like, we can do that now. Thank you, Jesus, for grace. But of course, when we do come to the New Testament, what we always have to do is try and ask the question, well, what was God really trying to get at there? And the way we can do that is, of course, we can look at, well, what did Jesus say? And, and we find out pretty quickly that, of course, it's not really about tax and 10% and laws. What it's really about, it's about trust. It's about worship. It's about blessing. It's about generosity. And so Jesus starts to tell these stories. And let's just be honest, they're pretty, pretty radical and pretty hard-hitting stories. He, he tells this story uh, when they're talking about the tithe of these two people who go to the temple. And they're going to bring their tithe. And the first one's this rich guy. I sort of picture him with this big gold chain on, these big sacks of cash, like riding his camel up to the entrance of the temple. Probably would have been a Bentley today, I don't know. But he's like, he comes in and he walks into the temple, right? And everyone's like, look at this guy. Because they can see the money. They can see the wealth. And he walks up to the front of the temple with his sacks of cash, his 10%, and he puts it down in front of everyone. And everyone's like, wow. Just think of the transformation that's going to happen because of this guy's wealth. And he goes out, rides his camel back home. And, and then in comes this, behind him this, this shriveled elderly widow. Nobody even notices her. Nobody that is except for, for Jesus. And she walks to the front. She takes out two tiny pennies, two coins. She puts them down on the altar. Nobody notices. Nobody cares. Except Jesus says to his disciples, he turns to them and says, well, which one, which one of those really understands what this thing is all about, what generosity is about? And of course, the answer is, it's the widow. It's the widow because for the guy to give 10% of his huge wealth and riches, it's just not really sacrificial, it's not really generous, it doesn't really do anything to him. Whereas the widow, she just gave everything. She just gave everything she had put herself in a place of absolute dependency upon the Lord. The invitation of generosity that Jesus gives us throughout his teaching is this radical call to respond to who God is by putting ourselves in that place of dependency back on him. And I feel like, man, if Jesus had so much to say, 16 of his 38 parables in, in, in biblical times, my goodness, wouldn't he have something to say to us today? Man, we who have to live in a place like LA with Venmo and mortgages and cryptocurrency and the stock market and like everything else, like man, would he have some stuff to say to us. It's an amazingly challenging message. But it's the one that Paul then picks up, which we just read in the passage this morning, when Paul then says, so therefore, in light of who Jesus is, in light of the fact that not only did he say that, but he also died for your sins, be the kind of people of radical, cheerful generosity. And you just say that if you then look at what happened in the early churches, you start to see what that starts to look like as the early church feeds widows and sets up schools and hospitals and transforms society and blesses the world around it. But all of it, all of it that goes on to look very impressive comes out of this place of a radical response to who God is. Now, we, we might go, okay, fine, Ben, but. <laughs> it's like, but, 
we live in LA, right, bro? It's like, LA is brutal, it's horrible, it's expensive, like, no one can even afford to get a mortgage here, let alone do anything else. Like, this is just incredibly difficult, and we're all so busy, we can't possibly give of anything of our time because we just are underwater the whole time. Like, why, why would we even think about this? Well, let me give you three reasons that Paul gives to you. And the first one is just simply this. When we learn to be people of generosity, the first person that changes is us. Is us. Verse 10, Paul says, He, God, who supplies the seed to the sower and the bread for the food, will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Like throughout this passage, we see this evidence that when we become the kind of people of generosity, what happens is we learn to become free. We learn to be people who are not bound and upset and overwhelmed by all the things around us. Richard Foster says, when we think about money, we've got to dethrone it. We've got to laugh at it. We have to give it away. We've got to find ways to shout no to the God of money. Because the powers that energize money cannot abide by that most unnatural of acts, giving. See, there's supposed to be something about Christians who are different from that, that kind of worldly view of like, if only I can get that next thing. Ever, found that, ever felt like that? Man, if only. If I can just sort that. Or if I can achieve that. Or if I can buy that, then everything else will come good. When instead, actually, God says, we're not supposed to be those kind of people. We're supposed to be people who know what it is to be Givers. Just do this for a moment. Just grab your fist. I've done this with you before, but just, just feel this and put it to your chest hard, right? Feel what that feels like, right? That is what the world tells you about money. Grab hold tight. When Jesus says this, just do this. Put it out in front of you. Feel better? It does feel better, right? The invitation is to be people of freedom, people of joy, realizing that actually it is all God. And let's be honest, like, that's quite hard. That's hard. Man, my family, I love them to bits. They're good at a lot of things. Financial generosity, not so much their things. Like, love language, money, not, not a thing. That's just being honest. So I, I grew up with this kind of idea of money. This is how it was in my family growing up. Like, it was never enough. It was always an issue. It was always a problem. Right. So much so that when I got to university, like, there was this idea in student culture where you'd go to a bar in the evening and take it in turns to buy a round of the drinks. But I, I used to be so upset by that concept that I had to buy everybody else drinks that I would go without any money to the bar and see if I could like, hang back long enough to make sure that everybody else bought all the drinks. But eventually, though, what would happen if I stayed long enough, someone would eventually be like, Ben, come on, dude. <laughs> it's like, it's your round. You've got to buy. And so I'd, I'd be there going like, oh, okay, well, I don't have any money. So my round, but Dave's paying. <laughs> that was like my standard line. They reminded me on my wedding night. Like, honestly, I, I don't find generosity. <laughs> they did. I don't mean night, do I? I mean day. Not my night. No, that was different. Sorry. <laughs> But I find like generosity hard. It's, for me, it's been this whole process of starting to like just prize back the fingers and being that kind of person. But what I've found is this incredible freedom that comes. As Ellen Goldwhite says, generosity begets generosity, whereas selfishness begets selfishness. When we become generous people, we start to heal and become who we were always made to be. Second thing, though, is that as we give, as we're generous, it starts to change the world around us. 
Verse 12. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but also overflowing in many expressions of thanks. You, start, you see this two-fold thing that starts to happen in the world. The first one is, is that people's needs are basically provided for. In this context, what's happening is that the church in Jerusalem, the original church from Acts, is starving, literally. There's a famine in the land. They cannot feed themselves. But, but the, Paul is writing to all of these new church plants all over the Roman Empire saying, be generous as you will provide these needs so people can eat. But the second thing he, he says is that actually as you are generous, this sense of God's presence, this expression of worship and praise starts to transform the world around it. You know, I, I was listening this week to a story of someone in our community who, who just had a desperate need. And other people in the church just gathered around and provided for them so that they could do something that they desperately needed to do. And then the stories that came out were these stories, not just of provision, but they were the stories of worship. They were these symbols that went out into the world where other people went, well, what's all that about? Like, why, why would anyone give any money to anybody else? That doesn't make any sense. But of course, what they do is they point towards the ultimate giver, who is God. You look at those early churches as they started and they supported and they blessed other churches and they started other organizations, is that the world started to radically transform itself. I mean, I think about, gosh, my Christian story. I think about being a teenager far away and not being that up for church. But I remember like the church that I was part of, we didn't have a youth pastor or anything like that, but I remember these just quiet people in the church raising their funds, giving generously so that the church could hire a youth pastor. And I remember like this youth pastor coming in and just walking with me and my buddies through my teenage years, which were always like quite a process and took quite a lot of patience and generosity of time and everything else. But, but it then onward and onward, like, and I think, man, how much of my Christian story relates to that youth pastor? And how much of the fact that there could be a youth pastor actually relates to a bunch of people that I can't even thank I don't even know who they were who just gave sacrificially and generously of themselves. You see, when we give, God multiplies, as it says in verse 10, and then out of it, he does amazingly transforming things in the world. And it's the same here at Vintage, by the way, and if you've been around for a while, you'll know this, but sometimes people will get me in, in the lobby and be like, hey, Ben. Like, man, how, do you, how did you do it? Like, how, how, how do you plant a church in a pandemic in the most expensive city in the world? Like, and you must have a sugar daddy, right? Like, you, who, who is it? Like, you, you've got to have someone. And I'm always like, well, okay, let me just be honest, right? So yes, we have some very generous people in our church. And, and yes, we, Vintage Santa Monica provided for us my salary for the first couple of years. Yes, we're so grateful to, for all of that. But the truth is, everything else that you see, everything that you see today is about generosity. It's a story of God's generosity moving people to create opportunities to bring transformation into places. And I'm always shocked and just amazed by the way that God does that. You know, we, as you can see, we've been growing very fast as a church, and it's quite hard to keep up. This is, if you look, this is, um, this is actually the, the amount and cost and, and um, amount of resources and ministry that we've used over the last few years. But if you can see there, not much happened in 19 and 20 because we hadn't started yet. But, um, but you see how, like, God has just continually grown stuff. But, but last, year, last year, we had to raise about another 25% in our regular giving. 
And I remember, because we were becoming a financially independent church, legally independent, we were hiring staff to work, and we were moving into this building which needed renovating, and I was like, oh my goodness, <laughs> like how could that possibly even begin to make any sense? And then if you were here earlier in the year, you'll know the story of how we, we at the, just the last bit of the year, on the 30th of December, we crossed over that line and we broke even and had all that we needed f- for last year. But the truth is, like, we're still growing really fast. If you look at this little thing, it's, it's, I don't know if it makes any sense to you at all, but that's, that's like our Sunday attendance numbers over the last year nearly. Like, all the time we have new people coming. It's incredible. Like, all the time there are these new opportunities for, for ministry. Like, we're, we're looking right now at um, youth ministry. Because here in Pasadena, they, they, this used to be known as a center of global training and development for youth pastors. Like people would come to this city and bring their kids because they knew that they were going to hear the gospel, that they were going to be raised in, in, in Christian faith. Today, most of that's gone. Most churches have no youth ministry left in our city. We're looking at going like, we need to step up. We need to push in to provide youth ministry again in Pasadena. We're hoping in these next few weeks to be able to tell you about a youth pastor who will join us on our staff team. Right, as we look around this building, we, we see all these empty spaces that are not utilized. You'll see if you've been upstairs a new chapel that we're renovating so that we can use it as a base for alpha and worship. As we look at around the city, like the endless opportunities that we face to work with people like Stars and Door of Hope who prevent homelessness, to work with Claris Health who work with single moms, to, to work in education, and then even further afield, as you heard last week, to work across the borders into like the unreached people groups in, Southern, in Central America. Like the opportunities are endless. And to be honest, this year again, that's going to mean like another 25% in our giving. And I sit there some nights and I'm like, okay, Lord, <laughs> I know you did it before, but will you do it again? But it's so easy to ask, honestly, because God is so kind and he is so faithful to us. God changes us. He changes the world around us. But then thirdly, and I think this is the one which is the kicker for me, I just can't even believe that he would do this is that as we become the people of generosity, God changes our situations. As we become people of generosity, God shows that he is infinitely more generous um, than we are. Verse 8 says this, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having everything you need, you will abound in every good work. Like, as if it's not enough that God just says, hey, would you trust me? It's not enough to just say, yes, come and worship me with what you have. If it's not enough that God would say, and then I'll use that to bring transformation to the world around you, God actually says, as you give, I will give back to you infinitely more than you gave. This picture that is used throughout scripture is of the scattering of seeds. I tried this in my backyard when it's been raining so much recently to see what would happen. But you know, in the olden days, they would, they would scatter these seeds generously, And then crops would come up. And as the crops would come up, not only would they have enough to eat, but of course, when crops come up, they produce seed. And then the seeds get replanted and more things are able to grow in the ground. There is this idea of just incredible abundance that God pours. Now, I know that when I say that, people are like, "Uh uh-huh, he's that prosperity gospel guy. 
What he means is you put $10 in an offering plate and you go home and there's supposed to be a Gulfstream jet like sitting outside your house. <laughs> that's, what, that's what he means. And no, it's not what I mean. I don't mean that. But I just mean that God is infinitely more generous than me. And he's almost more, infinitely more generous than you, which means whenever we give, God gives back to us. And so I want to I actually just invite my friend Margreta up for a minute. Because I know if a pastor says this, you're like, yeah, maybe. But I just want to invite Margreta because um, at the end of last year, we, we, we invited people to respond in generosity. Um, and Margreta said, I've, I'd love to share a little bit about how that's worked. Yeah, so last year when we were talking about the end of year giving, um, so I've been, I, would just started, I just started to pray, like, okay, God, like, I would love to give uh, in addition to the regular tithing. And so one day I just felt like God gave me this number, and I was like, okay, it's a little bit more than I expected, but I'm going to, you know, <laughs> just obey. And then so it's so funny that day um, when I decided that number, I came home, and I got this mail from, like, uh, state of California. Somehow, there was just some money from the states that were given to me, and it was the almost exact number that God gave to me that day. And then there's another part. And then moving into January, um, my company, all of a sudden, like, saying, like, oh, we're going to have a raise. And not that, they're going to retro pay us uh, all the way back to last July. And I was like, well, yay, that's great. And then one month later, earlier this month, and then they gave us another announcement, hey, we're going to have another raise. Um, and they're going to retro pay us all the way uh, to this January. And so I asked around, like, people who work there, like, longer than I do. And I said, is this normal, like, two raises in two months? And they're like, no, it has never happened. So I do believe, like, of course, when I gave, I didn't have that thought like, okay, God, just give me back whatever I gave. But I do think, kind of like Ben was talking about, like, he's way more generous. The, the blessings that I received are way more than I surrendered to the, uh, the, the number that God gave to me. So invest in the kingdom is the best investment. Thank you. We did not pay Margareta to say that, just to be clear at all. But, but honestly, and, and I say this because this is what Paul speaks about, and it's been the truth for Laura and I. This is just kind of how something of the kingdom works, of God's abundance. You know, um, when Laura and I got married, despite my reluctance to be generous about anything, um, we did agree that we would, we would also, like Margareta said, we wanted to be a, a couple that, that would tithe, that we'd give 10% of our income away. And the truth is, when we first got married, it was like fairly easy, honestly. We both had full-time jobs, like we were earning good money. It wasn't like any sort of challenge to live off 90%. But the problem came is that when I went to seminary, and in, in, in our network of churches, when you go to seminary, the deal is basically you stop all work, your wife stops all work, or your husband stops all work, like everything stops, and you go and you become a student. And in, in exchange, you just take a little small proportion of this, psych, this stipend to live off. And when they sent the numbers through, I looked and I was like, oh, because <laughs> I realized it was the same number as our mortgage, exactly the same. So I was like, okay, well, no food, but at least we've got like a place to live. So that's, that's going to be good. And so then we sort of, I started studying, but then I, then I was like, oh no, now what, what do we do? Like, what do we do about our giving? And honestly, the, the, the simple and logical answer was we, we could have easily said, take the new giving, turn it into one-tenth, and just sail to, say to the church, I'm really sorry, that's the, now the one-tenth, you're not going to be impressed. But, but as I went to do it, I literally sat at my computer one day with the online banking, and I went to press the buttons. 
and I just couldn't do it. Like, honestly, I just could not press the button at all to do it. And so I thought, well, now what do I do? And I hadn't told Laura, bad, by the way. And so I was like, I know, like, I'll leave it one month. And then if in one month we're bankrupt, I'll just say to Laura, I'm really sorry, I made a mistake, we're nearly bankrupt, I'll stop it immediately. So I, so I just left it for a month. But the astonishing thing happened was that after a month, like, we were fine. After two months, we were fine. After three months, we were, not, we were not just fine, but people started to say to us, oh, you know, you're a student, and um, you, know, you can get this amount of money for a grant for this, or you, know, you can apply for this, or you can get meal vouchers for the kids for lunch for this. Before we knew it, like not just a little bit, but after six months, we were saving so much money that we were paying not just our mortgage once, we were actually double paying it every single month. We were just double paying everything that we owed because we were actually saving money just at this rapid rate. So much so that actually, honestly, after two years of seminary, I was expecting to be completely broke. We actually had to sit down, Laura and I, and we're like, we've got a problem. Like, the problem is, is the bank account is filling up with cash and we don't know what to do with it. So what do we do? And we were like, well, quick, let's find somebody to give some money to. Now, I could repeat that story every year of our lives. Just like I could also tell you times when I've done the opposite and got scared and I've got anxious and I've got fearful and I've grabbed back hold of things and everything else has started to fall, fall apart. The, the promise is not that God will make us rich. The promise is not even that God wants everybody to have a Gulfstream jet and be preachers and sneakers. I don't believe. But the simple promise, don't, yeah, anyway, uh, my sneakers cost $20 from TJ Maxx, just saying. Um, <laughs> but the promise is simple, that God is more generous than we are. And so we simply can't lose because we can't be outdone because he, he we can't outdo him. He's too kind. So just with the last minutes, let me just talk practically. And I feel like sometimes in churches, we're not very good at just cutting to the chase on this. So let's just talk for a minute in these last few minutes about like, what does it really mean? And let me just say also, I know I've spoken about money a lot, but I don't mean to just speak about money because I think generosity is a bigger story. But I would say we are all on a journey. When I say this is my background, I reckon I'm probably about here right now. <laughs> like I'm just a few, few degrees along the journey and we're all on it. But if you want to take steps along the journey of generosity, what might you do? Well, number one, give regularly. Give regularly. There's something beautiful about the tithing picture in that what happened is, is as the crop came in, the tithe went out. You know, some of us, we get paid weekly or monthly or if you're in the industry, every nine months when you get a gig or whatever it feels like. You know, we have different patterns, but the invitation is to link when we receive to when we give of time, of money, of our energy, of our skills. What that does is it builds discipline. It builds that habit within our lives. It means that we actually learn to live in a place of dependency, not just doing it out of what's left over. Because what I find is what's left over is always nothing if we do it that way around. So we give regularly. Secondly, though, and it's linked, we give quietly. I feel that what is so different about the world's view of generosity and, and, and the kingdom one is that worldly generosity is often very noisy, right? It's the person who splashes the cash, you know, the person who takes people to the finest restaurants or has the boxes or, you know, whatever it might be. When Jesus actually says, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. I think that's genius. 
I think it's genius in my life because actually I realize in my life I don't actually need a conversation with myself about giving every month. Because if I have a conversation with myself about giving, this is how it would go. Hey, Ben, it's that time. Are we going to give? Well, yeah, Ben, we could. But, you know, the kids have got this thing coming up and we've got to do this and we've got that bill coming in and we've got that. And every single month I can tell you what would happen. I would convince myself not to give. Every month I could do that. But instead, I think the invitation is just to do it freely without even knowing, not, not because we're under some sort of compulsion, but just to have that rhythm and, so that it just simply happens. Give quietly, regularly. Thirdly, um, Paul says it today, give sacrificially. He says, do it with a smile, do it cheerfully. I find that fascinating and complicated. But, but it's, it's people say to me occasionally, like, Ben, how much then? Come on, like, bro, tell me. Like, what is it? 10% before tax, after tax, 5%, 15%. What are you supposed to do in a church? Now, here's my two answers. The first one is, it seems to me, and in my life and Laura's, like 10% gross is a really great place for most professional Christians and most people who have kind of stable lives. Like that seems like a good place to be, or at least a good place to start. But what I actually really believe and say to people is, well, it's no different from the question, well, how much exercise should you get? Or how much smiling should you do? Like how much of the Bible should you read? How much kindness should you show? Because of course the answer to all those questions is, Lots, as much as you possibly can, as much as you have faith to do. Why? Because you can't lose. Because it's just a really good thing for you and for the world around you. Now, I know for some of us, like, well, when we we commit and we figure out what we want to do, it it might feel like a very small amount. We might feel like the widow. It's like, well, that's not going to change the world if I'm really honest. And that's true, and that's okay, but we have to remember, like, Jesus isn't interested in amounts. He's interested in our hearts. He's interested in worship. But I do want to just say that, because I think this might apply to a few of us here today, that there is such a thing, I believe, as a gift to make money. There is a gifting and an ability to channel resources. I don't know if you know the story of how the Alpha course became like a global video thing that got translated into hundreds of languages. Well, it actually happened because a little group of business people in the city of London got together. And and they went, well, no one wants us on the worship team. And no one wants us to make lunch for the Alpha course. And no one wants us in the kids' ministry. So what do we do? And they got together and they were like, well, we know how to make money. So they started businesses and they resourced things and did things. And they raised this incredible amount of money that then allowed this Alpha course to go to the four corners of the world. And I just say that because I wonder if there are maybe even a few of us today where it's like, well, yeah, I'm probably not the guy for the kids' ministry, but God has given me a gift to channel resources into the kingdom. It's one thing I know I can do, and actually that God would allow us to do that well and honorably and sacrificially. The fourth thing, um, give freely. I think there's this beautiful thing in verse 7 where it says, just give what you feel you have decided to give. Please, please never come to vintage and feel like you're being bullied into giving time or money or anything else. This invitation is a free invitation, but it is also an invitation to sow freely like that farmer. Paul quotes Psalm 112.9. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. You know, I I think it's a beautiful thing. I'm honest and say that in in times in my life, there have been these moments when people have said, hey, Ben, can you volunteer for this? Or can you you give some money to this? And And I've sort of like internally gone, 
yeah, but what are they going to do? <laughs> what are they going to do with that? And then I've got this kind of sniff occasionally like, oh, no, hold on a minute. They're going to buy an organ. <laughs> or like, well, they're going to they're gonna invest it in this thing. And actually, I don't like that thing. I don't want that thing. That's not what I want. What's my return going to be from it? And so instead, I've gone, actually, I won't. I'll hold back. But so many times in my life, God has said to me, but Ben, actually, honestly, dude, you're the investor. You're not the fund manager. You're not the business manager. You're not the operations executive. You are the person who's supposed to invest, and I will sort it out and do something with it. It's an invitation to radical freedom, freedom in our hearts, freedom in our situations, freedom in the world. And then finally, to give holistically, And I've tried to weave this through, but I I want you to hear this at the end. When we talk about money in a church context, we don't just ever just mean money. We we talk at Vintage about time and talent and treasure. And we mean it. We mean it. That actually when God invites us into the story of generosity is not so he can just grab hold of our wallets or it's not so he can just grab hold of our calendars, or it's not so he can just grab hold of our skill set. Actually, God invites us to be all that he made us to be. And I think that means, like, for some of us, we're like, yeah, man, I can do the 10% thing. That's easy. Like, I do that, but I'm busy, so don't, don't call. <laughs> like, I'm not, I, I don't have time to help you out. Or, or we're like, well, man, I, I give, like, five hours a week. Like, if I monetize five hours a week at my hourly rate, like, you just got thousands. Congratulations. <laughs> the invitation is to bring all that we are. Because as we bring all that we are, God does that same process in every single area. He brings transformation to our hearts and freedom. He brings transformation to the world around us and multiplies it into make a difference. And he brings transformation to provide everything that we might ever need. So I want to close with this quote from N.T. Wright. The kingdom that Jesus preached and lived was all about glorious, uproarious, absurd generosity. Think of the best thing you can do for the worst person. Just go ahead and do it. Think of what you'd really like someone to do for you and do it for them. Think of the people to whom you are tempted to be nasty and lavish generosity on them instead. What an absurdly upside down kingdom that Jesus invites us into. So would you stand, and I'm going to pray and just offer a couple of different ways that we, we can respond this morning. Um, we, we are in a moment going to take up an offering. Um, it's, a, it's a symbolic thing that we do, and you'll see ways on the screen that you can give. You'll see opportunities to give through the, the baskets that will come round with cash and check or whatever. But... But beyond that, I also want to invite you into some other things. I want to invite you that maybe today might be a great day to just offer your time in some way to someone else. It could be within this body. It could be out in the world. It could be your neighbor's grass that now needs mowing because it actually rained. It could be something else. What's one small thing of generosity that you can show to somebody else today? It might also be that today you've got need. Like You're like, Ben, I love all that, but I am desperate. I have arrived with nothing. I don't even have two small coins. And if that's you, then we want to invite you to come and have a conversation with us. And we have a fund here at Vintage which is specifically set aside to provide and to bless people in emergency situations. And we would love to talk to you about that. And then the final way that you might want to respond is just to come forward in prayer. Um, 
And I just want to read these things out from the prayer ministry team, and then Tom's going to lead us as we take the offering and uh, come into a place of response. These are uh, some things. This is a season, the prayer ministry team felt, of planting and laying foundations. The rains of refreshing and flowing, and I'm opening and restoring your joy and opening up new opportunities. I'm restoring your peace and giving rest. Now is a time to dream and to see what is before you. It's a time to plan and to risk. It's a season of stepping out and seeing what I will do. It's a time of stepping into the promises I've given you and walking out the calling and the purposes I have for you. And so if that maybe speaks to you in some way, the prayer ministry team would just love to lay a hand on a shoulder and pray for you today. Also, they'd love to pray for somebody who's uh, got hearing infect, uh, affected by an infection, that God would want to heal that, um, that God would want to heal someone who's got panic attacks. If that's you, they would love to pray for you. Uh, somebody who's got inflammation in their joints, uh, if that's you, maybe to pray for, with them. And finally, somebody who's got a heart issue. I don't know if that's a physical or an emotional one, but that they would just love to pray for you. And so they're going to be at the front. We're going to sing. Um, and I just invite you just to push in, push in, to listen to God, to respond to him in generosity and worship. So let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you that you are a generous giver. That the breath that we breathe, that the life that we live, the skills that we have, the time that is available to us is all a free, unmerited gift of your grace. Thank you. Thank you for providing for us. And Holy Spirit, would you enable us to become those cheerful people, those joyful people of open-handed generosity in the way that you are generous to us? Would you grant us bravery and courage? Would you grant us opportunities and moments to lavish out kindness and time and generosity on those around us? And Lord, through your kindness and grace, would you continue to build this adventure here at Vintage? Would you provide for what we need? Would you bring the people and the places and the opportunities and the time that through us, as a group of people, lives would be changed, people would find healing and faith, and that the world would see your kingdom come on earth as in heaven. So come, Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.